0: Chapter 15 Kidnapped of Plain Tales from the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter 15 Kidnapped. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken any way you please, is bad and strands them in forsaken guts and creeks. no decent soul would think of visiting. You cannot stop the tide, but now and then you may arrest some rash adventurer whom hmm, will hardly thank you for your pains. From Vibert's Moralities We are a high caste and enlightened race, and infant marriage is very shocking, and the consequences are sometimes peculiar. But nevertheless the Hindu notion, which is the continental notion, which is the aboriginal notion, of arranging marriages irrespective of the personal inclinations of the married, is sound. Think for a minute, and you will see that it must be so, unless of course you believe in affinities, in which case you had better not read this tale. How can a man who has never married, who cannot be trusted to pick up at sight a moderately sound horse, whose head is hot and upset with visions of domestic felicity, go about choosing a wife?' he cannot see straight or think straight if he tries and the same disadvantages exist in the case of a girl's fancies but when mature married and discreet people arrange a match between a boy and a girl they do it sensibly with a view to the future and the young couple live happily ever afterwards as everybody knows properly speaking government should establish a matrimonial department efficiently officered with a jury of matrons a judge of the chief court a senior chaplain and an awful warning, in the shape of a love-match that has gone wrong, chained to the trees in the courtyard. All marriages should be made through the department, which might be subordinate to the educational department, under the same penalty as that attaching to the transfer of a land without a stamped document. But government won't take suggestions. It pretends that it is too busy. However, I will put my notion on record and explain the example that illustrates the theory. Once upon a time there was a good young man, a first-class officer in his own department, a man with a career before him, and possibly a KCGE at the end of it. All his superiors spoke well of him, because he knew how to hold his tongue and his pen at the proper times. There are to-day only eleven men in India who possess this secret, and they have all, with one exception, attained great honour and enormous incomes. This good young man was quiet and self-contained, too old for his years by far, which always carries its own punishment, had a subaltern or a tea-planter's assistant, or anybody who enjoys life and has no care for tomorrow, done what he tried to do, not a soul would have cared. But when Paythrop, the estimable, virtuous, economical, quiet, hard-working young Paythrop, fell, there was a flutter through five departments. The manner of his fall was in this way. He met a Miss Castris, Dicastris it was originally, but the family dropped the D apostrophe for administrative reasons, and he fell in love with her even more energetically than he worked. Understand clearly that there was not a breath of a word to be said against Miss Castris, not a shadow of a breath. She was good and very lovely, possessed what innocent people at home called a Spanish complexion, with thick blue-black hair growing low down on her forehead into a widow's peak, and big violet eyes under eyebrows as black and as straight as the borders of a gazette extraordinary when a big man dies. But, 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 well, she was a very sweet girl and very pious, but for many reasons she was impossible, quite so. All good mamas know what impossible means. It was obviously absurd that Paythrop should marry her, The little opal-tinted onyx at the base of her fingernails said this as plainly as print. Furthermore, marriage with Miss Castress meant marriage with several other Castresses—Honorary Lieutenant Castress, her papa, Mrs. Eulalie Castress, her mamma, and all the ramifications of the Castress family, on incomes ranging from rupees 175 to rupees 470 a month, and their wives and connections again. It would have been cheaper for Paythrop to have assaulted a commissioner with a dog-whip, or to have burned the records of a deputy commissioner's office, than to have contracted an alliance with the Castris. It would have weighed his after-career less, even under a government which never forgets, and never forgives. Everybody saw this but Paythrop. He was going to marry Miss Castris. He was, being of age and drawing a good income and woe betide the house that would not afterwards receive Mrs. Virginia Solez Paythrop with the deference due to her husband's rank. That was Paythrop's ultimatum, and any remonstrance drove him frantic. These sudden madnesses most afflict the sanest men. There was a case once, but I will tell you of that later on. You cannot account for the mania except under a theory directly contradicting the one about the place wherein marriages are made. Paythrop was burningly anxious to put a millstone around his neck at the outset of his career, and argument had not the least effect on him. He was going to marry Miss Castrus, and the business was his own business. He would thank you to keep your advice to yourself. With a man in this condition, mere words only fix him in his purpose. Of course, he cannot see that marriage out here does not concern the individual, but the government he serves. Do you remember Mrs. Hawksby? that most wonderful woman in India, she saved pluffles from Mrs. Reaver, won tarry his appointment in the Foreign Office, and was defeated in open field by Mrs. Cusack Bremmel. She heard of the lamentable condition of Paythrop, and her brain struck out the plan that saved him. She had the wisdom of the serpent, the logical coherence of the man, the fearlessness of the child, and the triple intuition of the woman. Never, no, never, as long as a tonga buckets down the sullen dip, or the couples go a-riding at the back of Summer Hill. Will there be such a genius as Mrs. Hawksby? She attended the consultation of three men on Paythrop's case, and she stood up with the lash of her riding whip between her lips, and spake. Three weeks later, Paythrop dined with the three men, and the Gazette of India came in. Paythrop found to his surprise that he had been gazetted a month's leave. Don't ask me how this was managed. I believe firmly that if Mrs. Hawksby gave the order, the whole great Indian administration would stand on its head. The three men had also a month's leave each. Paythra put the gazette down and said bad words. Then there came from the compound the soft pad-pad of camels. Thieves' camels, the Bikaner breed, that don't bubble and howl when they sit down and get up. After that I don't know what happened, this much is certain. Peythrop disappeared, vanished like smoke, and the long footrest chair in the house of the three men was broken to splinters. Also a bedstead departed from one of the bedrooms. Mrs. Hawksby said that Mr. Peythrop was shooting in Rajputana with the three men, so we were compelled to believe her. At the end of the month Pethrope was gazetted twenty days extension of leave but there was wrath and lamentation in the house of Castres. The marriage-day had been fixed, but the bridegroom never came, and the de Silvas, Perrieras, and Ducats lifted their voices, and mocked Honorary Lieutenant Castres as one who had been basely imposed upon. Mrs. Hawksby went to the wedding, and was much astonished when Pathrop did not appear. After seven weeks, Pethrop and the three men returned from Rajputana. Pethrop was in hard, tough condition, rather white, and more self-contained than ever one of the three men had a cut on his nose caused by the kick of a gun twelve bores kick rather curiously then came honorary lieutenant castrus seeking for the blood of his perfidious son-in-law to be he said things vulgar and impossible things which showed the raw rough rancor below the honorary and i fancy paythrop's eyes were open anyhow he held his peace till the end then he spoke briefly honorary lieutenant castrus asked for a peg before he went away to die or bring a suit for breach of promise miss castrus was a very good girl she said that she would have no breach of promise suits she said that if she was not a lady she was refined enough to know that ladies kept their broken hearts to themselves and as she ruled her parents nothing happened later on she married a most respectable and gentlemanly person he travelled for an enterprising firm in calcutta and was all that a good husband should be. So Pethrop came to his right mind again, and did much good work, and was honored by all who knew him. One of these days he will marry, but he'll marry a sweet pink-and-white maiden on the government-house list, with a little money and some influential connections, as every wise man should. And he will never, all his life, tell her what happened during the seven weeks of his shooting tour in Rajputana. But just think how much trouble and expense, for camel hire is not cheap. And those buccaneer brutes had to be fed like humans might have been saved by a properly conducted matrimonial department under the control of the Director General of Education, but corresponding direct with the Viceroy. End of chapter fifteen. Kidnapped. Recording by Mike Harris.